Gracious God in heaven, we are thankful that the light has dawned, that that light we found to be Christ lit the world and lit our world the day we trusted him. And uh, so when Jesus tells us, I'm the light of the world, we, we get that, but may we get it again today, I pray, to realize he is the light, not just another light among many, but he is the beaming light uh, of the world. And with Christ in us, who is the hope of glory, we carry with us a little bit of that light. May we enlighten people. May we be the light for good, we pray this week. We pray, Lord, too, that we would be leaving here in a little bit as different people, having encountered your word. May your Holy Spirit, who's our friend and guide into all truth, may he teach us, we pray. And I pray this in the name of Christ, our risen Savior. And the church says resoundingly, amen? Amen. amen. Well, our series is called I Am. It's the, it's the seven I Am's of John. And this week, it gives to us the identity of who Christ is. I'm the resurrection and the life. That's Easter. I'm the bread. Today, I am the light of the world. When Jesus said that, he said that within context of what was happening, what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. They were lighting giant lamps inside the temple at that time. There was a section of the temple called the Women's Court, and that court was used for praising God. Women and children would be there. Men could obviously be there, but men would then gather to, to lead uh, the worship. But, so this, this Women's Court was lit by lamps, they would sing praises to God, perhaps converse for a little bit. They would dance. It was kind of a, a social hall of bits, but all about giving glory to God. But those are the kind of lamps he was referring to when we hear him say, as he speaks to them during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, he says, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light, but he doesn't say of the tabernacle or of the temple, or I'm the light that's for this uh, worship occasion. He says, no, I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And they knew that God had been their light. They'd used it for traveling. They understood God was the light all through the Old Testament. When they were wandering, as then the children of Israel, it was God who was the pillar of light at night. They knew he had lit their way. And the law reveals not only our guilt, but also tells us this light, the love of God is the light that reveals God's grace towards us. When, when they spoke of that light, they knew that picture form really well. And we, we know that even today. Darkness is a picture, really, or a symbol of sin and of ignorance. You, you understand that because we use phrases like, I am in the dark. Have you ever used that phrase? I'm in the dark on this. Or could you help enlighten me? Or that guy over there, he's a dimwit. You ever use that phrase? Had it used on you? Or you'll, you've heard this one. yeah. Yeah, the lights are on, but no one's home. Or, you know, he's home, but the light doesn't go all the way to the top. You know, you've heard those phrases. He's lacking in understanding, insight. That's, that's the issue of darkness and light. Point number one, darkness is the biblical symbol for sin and for ignorance. Sometimes it's just that we don't know. It isn't revealed because we're in the dark on it. Conversely, light is the biblical symbol for not only, not only enlightening us, education, or enlightening us, bringing us to a better understanding, but really to holiness and really to life. They were very familiar with that kind of word picture. Hundreds of years before Jesus spoke those words of John chapter 8, it was the prophet Isaiah who said, the people walking in darkness have seen the great light. This is the prophetic moment. He's talking about the coming of the Savior. They're walking in darkness. They see the great light. 
on those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Chapter 9, verse 6 would say, unto us a son is born, a, a, a savior is given. His name will be Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. After Jesus would go back to heaven, the disciples would realize, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Acts chapter 26. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes to turn from darkness to light. See, the, see that switch happening. From darkness to light. From power of Satan to the power of God. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So they're no longer in the dark about their moral failure and their sins. And instead, they will be sanctified by faith in me. You get that? From dark to light. They're going to move. Darkness is the symbol of ignorance, of sin, waywardness, lostness. And that light is not only enlightening and education, but it's also holiness, purity. It is life. And so those followers, if you go back to, to John 8, verse 12, it says, not only do you get the light, but then you will have the light of light. It will become part of you. You will have it. You'll possess the light. You'll never walk in darkness. That's point number three. When you are a follower of Jesus, you not only... Never walk in darkness, but you also get to possess the light. Paul would write to the church in Ephesus some years later, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Not only do you get the light, but you are the light. You get that? It's a world of difference. So you live as children of light. So you could say, right now, I'm a Christ follower. You could be called, I'm a child of light. And how does that describe you? The passage goes on to say, so we are to live as children of the light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And you have to find out what pleases the Lord. That's what children of the light do. So you are light of the world. That's who you are. And you light up the world because you possess Jesus. Now, Jesus actually said that. Matthew, flip from John, hold your place in John, go to Matthew 5 now, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Verse 14. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp under a bowl. You don't hide your light. You let your light shine. You ever sing the song, This Little Light of Mine? I'm going to let it shine. You know that song? I wanted to do that for worship, and Ernest said, You need to preach. <laughs> okay, so I'll preach. Okay. So now I got you humming it. It's mm, mm, mm. all I want. Let it shine. Okay, got <laughs> Well, I got to close the song out. I got to get back to a one chord eventually. Or I keep singing the song. Don't you hate it when the songs don't end on a one chord? And then you keep... Okay, it was just me. It just hates that. I got to finish the song. Do you ever try to think of a song? You're trying to tell someone you love, or your husband or your wife. You're trying to tell them a song, but you have to sing the entire song to get to the title? Doesn't that aggravate you? Talk about aggravation. Okay, so get back on track now. Stay with me. I am the light of the world. You don't put the light under a bowl. No, you let it be on a hill. You let it shine. And that light shines, and they will see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So when your light shines because you have Christ in you, that light shines for you, not just for you, but it shines through you on and out of you. And those, those lights come out as good deeds, and they don't say, wow, look at how great a person you are. Instead, they say, look how great your God is. See the difference? So I brought with me some lights, but I need some people to help me. I need some strapping, good-looking, helpful people to help me. Yeah, yeah, come on up, Sadiq. And they also need to be humble. 
So I, I got you. You're, you're, I'm telling you, you can go home today and you can tell your wife, I'm humble. And don't even say humble. Say it the way a humble person would. How does a humble person say humble? They drop the H. Humble. I'm humble. <laughs> I, need, I need a bunch. I need some. There's got to be some over here. It can be a girl. I need a girl because I need some true humility. This one's not going to work. One, two, three, four, five, six. I get a couple more over here. Come on. Yeah, come on. Hey. Okay, each of you grab a light. Hey, it's the old married man. How you doing? How's the wife, the babe? Are they are? Oh, oh, hi, Christiana. I married them a couple years ago, and they're still married. Boom! You know, my dad. My dad's in heaven, but he would say to me, Dave, when you tie the knot because I'm getting ready to be ordained to be a pastor. Don't tie a noose. Tie a square knot. Okay, Dad. I have no idea what that means, but I'll get right on. Okay, you all have the light. This is good. Now, I want, the, I, want us, uh, I want you to circle up right here. Can we do that? And, yeah, pull the house down. This is the light gathered. These are the people who know Jesus, and so they picture for us the light gathered. you know what this is? This is a picture of, this is the church. This is the light gathered. Now, you don't stay gathered all week, right? The light scattered is when you leave the community and you light the hill. You don't hide your light, but you light up the hill where you live, in the community where you live. So you create a light to the Savior. Okay? Do you get this? All right, now, I need... uh, uh, Carlos, can you be my guy? You be my guy. This is Carlos. Carlos is one of the most spiritual guys I know, but for right now... He's the most wicked guy in the room, okay? <laughs> Everybody say hi, Carlos. Hi. Dios bendiga. Amen. Amen. That's all I know right there. Sí. It says, my shirt is purple. No, it says, Dios bendiga is God bless you. Yes. Yes, okay. All right, so this will be the guy who does not know Jesus, but these lights are going to help him come to know Jesus. We're going to take Carlos, put you down here, Carlos. You are far from Jesus right now, okay? You're right here. So how are we going to do this, Lights. You all going to stay there? No, you're going to come here, 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 here. And some of you need to be going that way. Get, get him on a path. Spread out. There you go. Come on, Donald, right here. Here we go. Come this way. Yeah, you need to spread the light out. Go towards the light. Yeah. Not all the way. Not all the way. You need to spread out the path. You can tell this is not rehearsed, can't you? You keep talking to each other. Come this way. See right here. All right. You get it? Now you go towards the cross. There you go. Now here's the deal. Carlos needs to come to Jesus. This is the path. And your job is to be the light, not to get him all the way to Jesus, but to get him to take his next step. Do you get this? That's all he needs to do. If the lights are all together... He'll never get there. That's why, you, you, that's why you think, oh, I go to church. That's all I need. No, 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 no. No, you are a light up on a hill, and your job is, if he is far from Jesus, to get him to take his next step. Come take your next step. Very good. And then you can see enough to take your next step here. But let's suppose right here, the trip decides, I don't want to be a light anymore. What happens? <laughs> He's lost because he, 
he loses the track of the path. You get this? Do you see how critical this is? Turn your light back on. There you go. Sing it now. This little light of mine. Okay, keep coming. Okay, not so... My gosh. You can snap and sing. Sign him up for the team. Okay. All right. Do you understand the path now? Okay, now, go back to church now. Cluster back up again. Stay right there, Carlos. It's only Wednesday, but Sunday's coming. They gather again. Now, I want you to go back, but go in a different order that you were in earlier. Okay, go back in a different order. What is this an illustration of? Sometimes you're at this point in the path, and the next time you're leading someone to Jesus, you're further along the path. Does it matter? No. The whole idea is you're helping him get all the way to the cross where he finally meets the Savior. And all your good deeds, all your lighting of the path does is get him to the Savior. Okay? And when he gets to the Savior, they glorify God in heaven. They don't say, my gosh, what a great light path we have. No, they say, what a glorious Savior. Okay, you can come back now. Would you join me in thanking this, these illustrators? Super, thank you. That only happens if everybody along the path consistently lives the Christian life and lights it for the next in the journey. Stop playing with my toys. They keep, they keep, uh, uh, uh. Gary, it, it does that because you've got metal in your arm. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know why it does that. Some of these, see, it just comes back on as soon as you turn it off. It is a good light, isn't it? So you have the word picture down now. So those who follow Christ in faith, your job is just to get them to the next place along the way. Everyone wants to be at the point where they come to take Jesus as Savior. Okay? But that's not where most of us are going to be. Most of us are going to be somewhere along the way, shedding your light, answering a question, praying, serving, loving on, and then, and then just being there as a good path lighter along the way. Let me tell you, this particularly has historic, I mean, you don't realize that it happens all the time in, in human history, but you know I'm a Midwesterner, so I'm going to give you a Midwestern historic illustration here. I could take you to uh, Southern Ohio, go to Cincinnati, go to Ohio River, go back to the 1800s. Let me tell you, there were guys that lived on the Ohio River, and it looked like they were running a boat or a barge or something, going across the Ohio River and taking agricultural goods across. But that was not what they were actually doing. They were taking grain and stock across the Ohio River from the south to the north. But that really wasn't the purpose of what they did. Those boats had notched out places where they were hiding people, escaping slavery from the south, headed to an abolitionist safe territory in the north. And their job was to get these escaping slaves from that point to this point. And then they never actually saw them get to freedom in the north. But their job was to get them to here. And if I were, could take you, I would take you to a house where the houses had hidden out places inside of staircases and between the floors of the first and second floor were places where they would pull uh, floorboards out from in the closet and there would be people hiding in there. And their job was to get them from that point to the next. 
and then from that point to the next. And they never really saw them in total freedom, but they saw them along the path. And they won't see those people until heaven. But won't heaven be sweet? Won't heaven be sweet? Yeah. To know that you were part of the process. There were women who made quilts, and I love this story, and it's, it's a book that is entitled Hidden in Plain Sight. It's the name of the book. And uh, in, in that uh, uh, book, what they did was these women would make quilts, and when it was safe for people to come out of the woods and get a meal at their house, because these people were traveling without, without anything but what was on their back. So they would put this quilt out on the line as if it were to dry or to be aired out, and that quilt had a symbol on it that told them it was safe to approach this house. And they knew they were abolitionists. They would go in and they would eat dinner, and, and as soon as guards would come or someone would come that would uh, perhaps put a wrinkle in the plan, or they might turn them in or shoot them or jail them or car- incarcerate them, take them away, they would take that quilt down and say, it's not safe to come in, you need to be back in the woods. They'd take the quilt down. And then the next day when it was safe, they would hang that back out again. And their job was to help move these escaping slaves, to get them to ultimate freedom. Let me tell you, I don't know where you are in the path or what day it is. You see, because one day your job may be right here, and the next week it's going to be there, and the next week you're right there. And you don't know. Your job is simply to be the light. Okay? How do you do that? I want to give you four ways you can do that, because Jesus is the light of the world, and now he says to you, you and I are the light for the world. Well, number one, uh, I'm ahead of myself. I'm get you to Acts chapter one. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be witnesses. You don't have to be judge. You don't have to be jury. Just be the witness. Gallup poll says this, that there are 65 million people in America who have no church affiliation at all, But out of those 65 million people, 34 million of them would attend a church if just simply invited. Over half. Think about that. That's huge. Gallup went on to say that although we think teens uh, talk about a lot of things, and they do, they talk about music and culture and clothes, and, you know, they talk about commerce and their phone and what they did on the phone and uh, just... And, and frankly, I, I think even a fair amount of consumerism is directed, they don't even direct it to the people with money because we don't have any because we're making house payments. Kids get jobs and have discretionary income. So the mall, in my mind, is made for teens. How do I know that? Because I went in there to put a pair of jeans on once. It didn't go so well. So then I tried a shirt, but I'm telling you, I have too many muscles for the shirts, for the shirts they're selling. That those malls are built for a young audience with discretionary income. So I'm thinking, oh, that's what they talk about, what they're going to consume next. And they do. They do talk about culture and music and all that. But you know what the number one talk is that Gallup will say is? Number one still is spirituality. Students still want to know what really matters in life. And you know what? If your faith in Jesus cannot justify your actions as it relates to human justice, human trafficking, clean water, then that faith is incongruent. You've got to work out your faith so that you are compassionate towards the underprivileged of the world, or your faith doesn't make sense to a young person because he's no longer a citizen just of the United States. He feels himself to be a citizen of the world. 
And if we don't get that in our heads, we'll lose the generation. And media has built that. We, we know where things are and what is happening around the world within minutes of it happening. And because of that, we have to be ever so wise because young people are still talking about things of eternity. Some people would say, oh, I would like to be a witness, but I, I don't want to be a judge or jury, and I don't think I know enough. So I want, Dave, what I want you to do is I want you to give me something heavy, something deep, something so deep I don't even understand it. I want you to use language, I don't, use words I don't even get. Because then I can leave here going, wow, that was deep. You, you, I'll tell you what deep is. Deep is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I don't understand that yet. I don't get that. That whoever believes, I would, put a, I would have put a tax or some kind of payment on that. But God did not. That's deep. Some would say, well, you know, I, I want to explain things more, explain things that people aren't even asking. Here, and here's my response to that. If you were driving home, and you pull into your subdivision, and a lot of subdivisions have like a retention pond. It's just what we have to do now to manage property. But let's just suppose there's a guy in that pond, and he's drowning. And you pull over, and you go, hey. And you yell to the guy, I have a life preserver in my trunk. That information is not helping him, is it? You need to pop the trunk, right, and pull out the life preserver. And when you pull it out, you need to hold it up. And then you need to say, this is a life preserver. Is that what you do? No, you say, let me tell you the history of the life preserver. And let me tell you what life preserver means in the Latin. And this is filled with foam core with a nylon strapping to it. It's guaranteed for 10 years. But in the olden days, in the Greek world, they used cork. And we can thank the French for that. And meanwhile, the guy's going, help me, glub, 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 help me. And you're not throwing him the life preserver. You know what you need to do? Throw him the life preserver. And then after he gets to shore and he's thanked you profusely, you can say, yeah, I bought that thing used and I didn't know if it'd actually float. You know, I just tell him. I, I really like this foam thing's really better than the cork ones. Yeah, did you know that the Germans actually developed this from the French and the French actually, it was the Americans who said you need to be driving around with it. Yeah, you can talk all day about it after you pull them out of the pond. You see, you don't need it more deep. You need it more accessible. That's the whole idea of you having a Bible even in your own language. Just be the witness. Just tell your story. You don't have to have every answer. I don't have all the answers. You know, I'm reminded in the New Testament, there's a guy who's blind, and Jesus helps the guy, and the guy can see. And then they go, well, is he allowed to do that? And only the Son of God could do that? And what kind of powers do that? And then they go after the guy's family, and the family doesn't know how to respond. And the guy says, look, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's God or not. Here's what I know. I used to be blind. Now I see. I do know that. And that's all you have to say. I used to be stressed out. I used to not know how to communicate. I used to have all kinds of personal issues. And all I know is Jesus helps me untangle all that because he gives to me unconditional forgiveness. That's the story you can tell. That's what it means to be the witness. So therefore, you're, you're Christ's ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5 as though God were making his appeal through us. He's saying, I'm using you. He is making the appeal through us. It's the whole reason you're left behind. You are the ambassador for Christ. You are the light in the community where you go. So how do you do that? Here are the four ways. Here we go. Number one, become aware. 
Simply become aware. 154,000 people in the county, 39% don't attend, uh, 39% attend church. We think, frankly, 10% of those people are lying. How many of you have ever lied in your life? Just four of us. Okay. So next week's sermon, we know what that'll be on. <clears throat> Research tells us about 29% in the county attend church. That means over 100,000 people in the county don't attend church. You have to be aware that most of the people that we bump into don't really attend. And a lot of people, because I'm a pastor, they'll say, oh yeah, I go to church, because they don't want me to say, come to mine. So I say, oh, I go to church. Oh, good, where do you go? I go to that, that one with, the, with that guy. Oh yeah, that one. I've been there a lot myself. Yeah. They don't really go. But they do that as a defense mechanism, and I don't blame them. I don't want to hear the sales pitch either. I'll talk about that more later. But you have to just be aware of the people, be aware of the process. Because some people are ready to trust Christ, other people are downright reluctant. You start furthest away, and if you were to go back to this illustration again, where Carlos started us, is, is the person there might be resistant. So your job is to get them from resistant to simply reluctant. And why are they resistant? For two reasons. Usually because they're hurt or in fear. Hurt over other Christians because Christians are idiots at times. And then fear of God for fear, you know, he's going to be mad at you. All you have to do is dispel that fear. You've got to deal with that fear issue. But that hurt issue, the reality is, and people will do this to me all the time, they'll say, oh, you go to that church? Oh, yeah, there's some idiots that go there. I know some people who are very bad people that attend your church. And I say, you know what I say? I say, we let anybody in. We really do. Because they're working on it. So we're just helping each other. And then I've had people say to me, I don't like Christians. You and I say, I'm with you. There are some weird ones, aren't there? Yeah, I agree with you. You see, you just have to kind of let, own that, let that thing go. But some people are downright fearful of God, and that's the wrong response. I want them to know that there's a God in heaven who wants them to be a part of his family. Picture it now just for a moment. You have a teenage son. You get a call late at night that he's in jail with his buddies. And you can go down, and this has happened with me where a guy calls me and says, I'm, my kid's in jail, I'm going to go down, I'm going to kill him. Okay, you need to slow down a bit here. Don't go yet. We need to simmer this down. Because if you go into jail like this, look at me. If you go in like this, you've lost the war. And your son. Oh, you'll get him out of jail, but you'll lose your son. But if you go into jail and you say, son, that's my boy. Don't kill him, because I want to. He's mine. Yeah, I'm not going to kill him. I'm, it's going to be much worse when we're done. Yeah. yeah. You, you say to him, that's my son. That's my son. I don't want my kids to go to jail, but I've told them, you go to jail, I will go to jail with you because I don't want you hurt. Now, they don't know that that's not legal, but I have not told them that. I want them to know that's how much I love them. Do you get this? I want them to know you've never needed your dad more than now. Okay? You thought you needed him then. You need your dad now. And that's what I want them to understand spiritually about the Father who's in heaven. You need the God who's in heaven. You need to see him as your dad, 
Not like this, but like that, okay? That will move them one step. It's not gonna move them 10. And by the way, a guy by the name of Engel actually wrote this with different wording, but everybody's borrowed it and, and manipulated it. Dayton and Engel are the two writers on that material. But they just, it just moves them one step, and that's all we're asking you to do, just to the place where they're reluctant, where they're saying, okay, maybe not every Christian is an idiot or a jerk. And then, that's good, I'll take that. Let's get you to the next step. And then you just say, well, I'm reticent. I, I have some questions. I have more questions than I have answers. That's okay. And then that's why you need lots of Christians around you, lots of lights around you, because you don't have all the answers, nor do I. And then from there, you get them to reluctant when they think, well, I could really think about this, and I could, I, I'm reticent about it, but at least I'm open. And then eventually, they're to this point where they're ready. And by that point, they're ready to come to Christ in personal faith. That's where everybody wants to be. Everybody wants to be not at the resistant, reluctant, reticent point. Everybody wants to be at the front end of this thing. We're saying, we led people to Jesus. But here's the truth. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. I planted the seed, Apollos waters, but it's God who gets the increase. Some people are going to plant the seed, some are going to weed, some are going to water, some are going to water again, some are going to weed again, some are going to replant, some are going to thin it, prune it, some are going to foster spears, they're going to talk nicely to it, going to develop the roots and cultivate it. It's God who will get the increase eventually and ultimately, and he's the one we applaud in the end. And so then when they come to Jesus, they become a true worshiper. They get new life that's in Jesus Christ through one discussion or one church service. Whatever that turning point is where they begin to pray, they can say, I believe this as my own. That's wonderful, but that's not enough that they just trust Jesus. We want them to connect with a local body and, and belong to a family. And if they come to this church, that's great, but there are other great churches. I'm friends with Irv, who's at a Grace Church in Clinton. There's Bill is at a Grace Church in, in, uh, in Waldorf. There are lots of, lots of really good churches in the community. And there's different kinds of churches, different styles of worship. Why? Because there's different kinds of people. You know? I, you know, if you want fish, you go to one kind of restaurant, right? You want burgers, you go to another. You want vegetarian, you go to another. It's, it's okay. It's all food. It's all good stuff. See? That doesn't bother me that people come here, go somewhere else, as long as it's a Bible-believing, God-fearing um, place where the Holy Spirit is welcomed and, and the Bible is taught and revered and Jesus is embraced in faith. Hey, get them to belong to a place and then they'll grow, they'll get some roots, but that only comes when they study the scriptures, probably only gonna study it within a group and have accountability and that helps them grow. When they serve, they find out how, how God has wired them, why the Lord left them here on earth. And then ultimately, they're going to share their faith, their faith story. And so you have to understand, people are in process. And you have to just love them where they are. And, and you know what happens? If you, if you look at that from minus five to plus five, I, you know you've had people who are ready to trust Christ, and then idiot Christians show up, right? And bump them back a couple notches. Say some stupid things. They go to family reunion. And, and, and then and someone in the family says, oh, you're still, or you'll always be fill in the blank, whatever. And that bumps them back. Holidays do that to you, and birthdays and reunions. And, and you think, oh, eventually it would, it would be a neat pattern. It really isn't. People bump along the way. And so you have to be in it for the long haul. And so if I'm to be the light, I have to be aware of people, and then I have to be aware of the process. And I need to keep moving here, because we need to commit to pray. That's the second thing. 
commit to pray just talk to God and I you know I'm a fan of praying the scriptures half the time I pray and I'm not praying the scriptures I don't know if it's God's will or not I, I don't know should I be praying for this Lord I don't know if that's what they need I, I don't know and in the scriptures say the Lord corrects our prayers but when you pray the word of God over people you know that's the will of God because it is the word of God so here are some here are five prayers you could be praying you know, John chapter 6 verse 44 Pray that the Father would do what only the Father can do. No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws them. So say, God, uh, our Father, may you draw them to yourself. Pray, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that God, please remove the blinders from their eyes. Whatever is getting in the way from them seeing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. So you're praying, God, take the blinders off. Do Again, what only you can do, hope th- and then help them to see. And then thirdly, pray, Lord, may they see you as Father, the one who wants you with open arms, not folded arms, because the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The spirit you received is about your adoption to sonship. It's where you cry out, Abba, Father. It's where you say, Daddy. It, that's the Hebrew, Abba, Daddy. Father, Papa. So, Lord, may they see you as Father with open arms. And then, fourthly, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. You see, I need people around, people I'm praying for who come to Christ. You need it around people who you're praying for that they come to Christ. You need other good Christians around them. And, and you can pray, God, keep the idiot Christians away. It's all right to pray that prayer. And then, of course, pray Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, God, kick on the eyes of their own heart, Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Why? So you'll really see, so you'll really know him better. God, that's the prayer, okay? So number one thing you do is become aware. Number two, commit to prayer. Number three, I know it rhymes, but this will help you. Become aware, commit to prayer. Number three, show you care. When Jesus saw the crowds, he didn't go, oh, brother, here they come again. No. He had compassion on them. He saw them as harassed and helpless. That's what they are. Like sheep without a shepherd. How do you see people? That's gonna, you know, if you see them as in the way, that's a serious issue. That would be your prayer. May I see them as Jesus does. May I have a kind of a caring kind of compassion and so we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians chapter 4, forgiving each other because God in Christ has forgiven you and me. And to find a way to care for them as Christ would care, show some heart, be tenderhearted towards their life hassles. Ask yourself the great question, what would I do in this situation? Or what would I need in this situation? I'm sorry. So if you were in that same situation, what do I need from my friends? And that's the kind of friend you need to be. You've, you've got friends who are going, going through it with family and in marriage or with their kids or in business. What, what would I need if I were in that spot? And that's how you begin to care. So you're aware, you're in prayer, and now you show them you care. And then fourthly, you be ready to share. You tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You tell your faith story. Or, and if you, don't, if you just say, I really can't tell my story, then here's what you say. You just say, you know what, I can't tell you my faith story, but I do know this. There's a place I go, 
and they open the Bible, and it makes sense to me. So come with me. And you say, well, what do they do? Well, they sing a little bit, and they eat cake in the lobby with coffee. What's not to like about that? And um, they, they encourage each other in faith in the Lord, and then we hear a message from the Bible. You could do that. First Peter chapter 3. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Sanctify, it says in another translation. Make yourself, set yourself apart as holy for the Lord's use. And always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope. But when you do that, remember this. When you do that, you do that with gentleness and respect. Why do you do that with gentleness and respect? Because if you don't, if you give them the answer but you're a jerk, you'll bump them back down the ladder. They're, they're getting ready to trust Christ, but you just bumped them back two steps. Why? It wasn't because your answer was wrong. It was because your attitude was wrong. You get this? And people read an attitude quicker than they do actually your words. You know this. Nonverbal communication translates more. So, however, I consider myself, my life, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord's given me, the task of testifying, and it is good news. That's what we have because we're light, because we've met the Savior. And why do we do this? We do this because Jesus is the light, not just of the tabernacle or the temple. He is the light of the world. And we never walk in darkness because we have his light. And you pick up the newspaper, you get online, you realize it is a world of hurt. People are stumbling in moral darkness. Can't, people can't tell right from wrong anymore. And, and they never will until they get the light. And so the, the light has to come, and Jesus has already come, and he leaves us as the light. So our job is to live the Christian life, be the people, be the blessing of the people around us. I am so glad for the light, aren't you, for Jesus? And I pray that we will be the light this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow together for prayer and let's stand to our feet as we pray. And Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ who came to light up our world, to give to us eternal life. He gave his life that we could have not just forgiveness of sins, but a home in heaven. And when we were lost and, and didn't know which way was up, he helped give us perspective and gave us the goal. And we march towards heaven together. May we be the light wherever you plant us this week, wherever the station is. May we be faithful lights to help people press in forward to come to trust Christ as Savior. And it could very well be that you're in the room right now and you're saying, you know what? I'm there. I'm, I've been an observer and now it's starting to make sense then you tell God in heaven, right where you're standing, God, I, I get it now. The light's kicking on in my own heart. I want to trust Jesus, your son, to be my savior from my sin. I want to follow the Lord in faith. Help me. Change my life. Give to me the life that is eternal. The fresh start I need. And Lord, for the work you do in our hearts and lives, we will always say thank you. We love you. May our lives show that kind of love out. We pray this in Christ's name. And the church gives a resounding amen.
Amen.